Well, um, as most of you, all of you know, uh, May of 2020, we had way too much time on our hands. Way too much time on our hands. And one crazed Star Wars fan uh, took the time to watch all of the Star Wars movies, right? The, the originals first, then the prequels, then the new ones that came out. And when he got to The Empire Strikes Back, some of you may not even, you may have already be checked out, um, but those of you who aren't checked out, you're my people, so I love you and I'm grateful for you. Um, watched The Empire Strikes Back and saw the moment between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, the no, I am your father moment, one of the greatest moments in cinematic history. And this crazed Star Wars fan took to Twitter and he tweeted Mark Hamill, who is the uh, actor who plays Luke Skywalker. And he said to Mark Hamill, he said, man, you are brilliant. Like your response to, to, to Darth Vader was absolutely brilliant. Um, it captured like ev everything that Star Wars is in that moment. It captured what it is. He said, I would have loved, this fan said, I would have loved to have known how the cast and crew responded when they found out that this was going to happen. And Mark Hamill actually responded to this fan. And this is what he said. Mark Hamill said this in 2020. I think this is the first time it was ever said. He said, the cast and crew first learned of it, first learned of Vader being Luke's father, when they saw the finished film. When we shot it, Vader's line was, you don't know the truth, Luke. Obi-Wan killed your father. Mark Hamill said, only the director, the creator, and me knew what would be dubbed in later. Agony keeping that secret in for over a year, Mark Hamill said. Now, when Harrison Ford found out about this, he had some choice words for uh, Mark Hamill. And because we're in church, and not only that, but because it's Family Sunday, I'll keep those words to myself. But you can find what Harrison Ford said to Mark Hamill. But there had to have been both frustration and joy when they found this out, right? The shock of the reality of Luke's relationship with Vader, there had to have been shock, frustration, and joy, right? Why didn't we know? Why didn't you tell us what was happening? Now, in Revelation, we have the opposite problem. It's not that God keeps things from us. It's that maybe he's telling us too much, right? He's giving us too much information. He's giving us all of this Old Testament imagery, all of these illusions, all of these crazy pictures of things going on and things happening. But what I want us to realize is in the midst of all of that, Revelation is teaching us something about discipleship. Revelation is teaching us something about how to live here and now in the midst of what God has been doing in history in the present, in what he will do in history. And I don't want us to, to miss with all of the stuff that's been going on in Revelation, I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees here. Uh, John, the author of Revelation, right, the one who God revealed himself to, revealed all these pictures to, he also wrote the Gospel of John. And in John 20, 31, he gave us a thesis statement for what the Gospel was about. Right, John says this in John 20, 31. John says, but these things are written. Right, I wrote all of these things about Jesus so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, 
that he's the king, that he's the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Right? That's John's heart in the gospel story. And I know that that's John's heart in the revelation that we've been reading the past several months. So, so, so I, I want us to know that. I want us to know that revelation is a word for us here and now. Because in the book of Revelation, God is giving us a peek behind the curtain of reality to shape us here and now. Revelation literally means a revealing, right? It is, it is an apocalypse, but a lot of times we think apocalypse, we think, right, the walking dead. We think zombies. We think the end of all things. But apocalypse, it's not as we've come to understand it, but it literally means to uncover, right? This is an apocalypse given to the apostle John to be shown something. God is showing him something that he otherwise would not be able to see himself. And therefore, John's writing this to us so that we might be able to see something about the nature and character of God and how we are to live in light of that. This peek behind the curtain isn't for some distant reality, but it's for our discipleship and formation right here and right now. Revelation, as we'll see in just these five verses, right, and we're going to be spending a lot of time on verse one, but Revelation is about being conformed to the way of the Lamb, and that's what we're all after, right? We're here, hopefully, because we want to be conformed more to the image of of Jesus Christ. And man, Revelation has a word for us this morning about that. The Bible isn't easy, it's complex, but let's trust that, that Jesus is going to reveal himself to us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. We're going to start just with one verse, starting in verse 1 here. The seventh seal in the golden censer. What the heck does that even mean, right? Okay, Revelation 8.1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Okay, so last week, Jeff walked us through all of chapter 7. And what chapter 7 was, was an interlude. So we're now picking up where chapter 6 left off. We're picking up where chapter 6 Left off, And we see in verse 1 that Christ the Lamb is the only worthy one to open the seven seals on the scrolls, right? What, what, what does that mean, um, right? We get that he's a big deal, that Christ is a big deal, that Christ is the only one who's worthy to open the scrolls, but what does that mean? I was reading this past week, and, and I found such a good quote um, that, that I think sum this up beautifully. So the scroll, right, the scrolls that Jesus is opening, first in chapter 6 and now picking up in chapter 8, the scroll contains the meaning of history, of world history, of your history, of my history, of my children's history. The scroll contains God's plan for bringing the purpose of creation to its intended fulfillment. The scroll contains God's plan for bringing the kingdom of the heavens down to earth, for bringing the kingdom of the heavens 
down to earth. So we expect now as we step into the final seventh seal, fireworks, right? I mean, let's look back. I'll read it to you. You don't have to jump back, but let's see briefly in chapter six where we left off, right? It'd be helpful for for us to do that. Um, Let's look at chapter six, verse nine. This is the fifth seal. So when Christ opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true. Okay, that's the fifth seal. We see the sixth seal in verse 12, what took place there. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, right? This is utter chaos. So now we approach the seventh seal and we expect absolute fireworks, right? You go to a fireworks show and fireworks start and you're like, oh, this is enjoyable. This is fun. But you're waiting for what's to come, right? You're waiting for that final end of the night moment where it just goes bananas. That's what we expect as we approach the seventh seal. But what do we get? There was silence. When the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Are you guys as uncomfortable as I am right now? Silence. When all of this is taking place, silence. Read an article this past week, and the title of the article was hilarious. It said, being comfortable with silence is a superpower. Like, that's where we are in 2023. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable with silence is a superpower. And this is what the research that they did said, uh, research at the University of Gronin in the Netherlands found that it takes only four seconds of silence in conversation for us to feel, for Americans to feel rattled, rejected, and insecure. Four seconds in conversation for us to feel insecure, rattled, and uncomfortable. Now, you might think, where, where does this come from? You see, we've talked about Revelation as being deeply, deeply connected to the Old Testament, deeply connected to the history of the Bible and therefore our history. So I want us to take a little journey here to see, man, why are we so uncomfortable with what's taking place in heaven? Why are we so uncomfortable with this silence? So let's look at Revelation 6, 15 through 16 really quickly. Revelation 6, 15 through 16. I was having a conversation with my life group about, about this. And man, if you're not plugged into a life group here at Redeemer, I highly recommend it. There's conversations that take place that go far beyond the conversation we can have here. Uh, Jeff Martin, our pastor, says um, that here on a Sunday morning, typically inspiration is what takes place. But in life groups and throughout the week, that's when true transformation takes place. So I recommend you get plugged into a life group. Um, But we were looking at Revelation 6, 15 through 
16, and I think we can see as we backtrack where our uncomfort, our uncomfort with silence stems from. Okay, so Revelation 6, 15 through 16. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now this is connected to Hosea 10.8, the whole way back to the Old Testament. This is language that isn't new for us if we know the Bible well. Um, and I don't know the Bible as well as I should, so I had to see where it was hyperlinked back to. And this is what Hosea 10.8 says. It says, The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, the people shall say to the mountains, cover us into the hills, fall on us. Right? This is language that isn't new to us. Now, this is then hyperlinked back to thorns and thistles. Does that sound familiar at all? Thorns and thistles. This is connected to the creation of humanity and the fall of mankind. Genesis 3, 18. Thorns and thistles the earth shall bring forth for you. This is immediately after Adam rebelled, took the fruit, ate of it. Chaos ensued. Discomfort ensued. Awkwardness ensued. Shame ensued. This is what Revelation is connecting us back to. Because in Genesis 2, we were created not first to do something, but to exist and to enjoy someone. Let's, let's see that this morning. Genesis 2, 5 through 9. Listen closely to this. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plants of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed man of dust. He did that from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Right, He placed the man in the garden, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Before a word was spoken, God had created us for fellowship. Created us, formed us to exist and to enjoy. And we've become so uncomfortable with that. Just sitting just being still, this nagging push to work, to do, to provide, when God is first calling us, right, those are good things, but God is first calling us to sit, to exist, and to enjoy. Every tree that is pleasant walks with God in the garden. Those we are able to sit in silence with are those we feel most comfortable with, right? If I'm sitting across the table from a student and 
middle and high school students are incredible, but a lot of times they have nothing to say when they should have a lot to say. And they have a lot to say when they should just not say anything. <laughs> so I'm sitting across the table from a student, and if there's any silence, right, I want to fill that void. It's because the relationship not yet is at a point where there's comfort in sitting and experiencing. Now, my wife, on the other hand, we can sit in a room for an hour, and if we don't say anything, man, that's, like a, that, that's a victory in our household, right? That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But when I evaluate my relationship with the living God, man, is it hard to just be quiet. Man, is it just hard to just sit and receive. And I'm not even talking about prayer, right? Because a lot of times we're trained to pray uh, this, this formula that I think is good and helpful. But a lot of times it's, it's asking. If we really get down to it, we might be asking something. We might be seeking something. We might be uh, repenting of something. When first and foremost, those things are good. When first and foremost, he's calling us to sit and enjoy. What is your silence or lack thereof communicating about your relationship with God? What is your silence or lack thereof with the Father who calls you his own, who provides you with every good thing, who's given us this place to worship, to know him, to be present with him, to sing his praises? What what is your silence or lack thereof communicating about your relationship with him? And man, that's something only you can know. Right? Maybe you're afraid to be with your own thoughts because you know what you often, oftentimes find yourself jumping to. Maybe you're afraid to be silent because if, man, if God really knew, if, if I could sit with myself and he really knew who I was, I, he would reject me. What is your silence or lack thereof before the Lord, communicating about your relationship with him. And you could say to me, okay, right, Brian, you're talking about quiet and silence on a family Sunday. Um, but there's so much to do, right? You don't know my life. There's so much to get done. There's so much to accomplish. Three, four, five kids work all day, work on the weekends. There's so much to do. I don't have time for that. And man, I get, like, I get that. <laughs> I understand that. But listen to this. This is a, 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 I was at a conference, actually, most of this week, I was at a conference, um, and one of the speakers talked about this quote, and it just fit perfectly um, with, with what we were talking about and with what Revelation 8's discussing. So, so listen to this quote. Um, this is from like a 19th century French Christian philosopher, right? The guy you want to invite to your next dinner party, right? This is um, A.G. Sertelange is his name. I think I've, I don't know if there's any French people, but I think I pronounced that correctly. A.G. Sertelange. He says, do you want to do intellectual work? And I can kind of reframe that and say, do you want to do selfless, beneficial, gospel-fueled work, right? Is that what we're after? We'd all say, absolutely, right? Raise our hands. Man, we want to serve God. We want to image God where we are. We want, to, we want everyone to see the person and work of Jesus and how we exist. Do you want to do this type of work? 
begin by creating within you a zone of silence, a habit of recollection, a will to renunciation and detachment, which puts you entirely at the disposal of work. Acquire that state of soul Acquire that state of soul unburdened by desire and self-will, which is the state of grace of the intellectual, selfless, good worker. Without that, he's saying, he's claiming as a Christian, without that, you will do nothing. Or at least nothing worthwhile. We were meant for silence. This is not a sermon of, of me saying to you, hey, you don't create enough time in silence, you need to do that, right? You probably should do that. We probably all should do that. But this is me saying there's something deep within us. There's something deep within us that was first made to exist and enjoy and be quiet. That's what we need to get back to. Of course, it takes only four seconds for us to be insecure and afraid. I mean, we have rebelled from what we originally were called to do, to sit and enjoy. We've deceived ourselves because to do any good at all, we must first do nothing. And if there is silence in heaven, and if we are to be people who ask God for heaven to come to earth— then let us be a people who are discipled in the way of silence. Man, we are such a people who want to check the boxes. We want to get things done. And even the question of what's silence going to do for me is the wrong question to ask. Right? The right question to ask is, what is God calling me to do? And brothers and sisters, he's calling us to first and foremost sit and exist and enjoy. People who be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is God. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Job, right, who knows a word about suffering and crying out to the Lord. Job 13.5 says, oh, that you would keep silent and that your silence would be your wisdom. What is your lack of silence communicating about your relationship with the living God? What are you running from? It's in our makeup to be submissive, dependent creatures who look to our Father for all that we need. And yet we're so focused on striving and performing and earning. And man, that's like I raise my hand before anyone else does and says, that's who I am most of the time. This up here, me doing this up here is agonizing because <laughs> I'm constantly thinking, how am I coming across? How am I? And God is saying, no, 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 no. Sit, enjoy, worship, Christ is your all. 
Christ is your all. When we don't sit and exist and enjoy, we are estranged from ourselves. Listen to this quote. I've got a lot of really good quotes today. It's just these people can say it way better than I can. Um, this is Brennan Manning. He wrote uh, the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Some of you might be familiar with that, but, but this is what he says. He says, silent solitude makes true speech possible and personal. Silent, sol- silent solitude makes true speech possible and personal. If I'm not in touch with my own belovedness, then I cannot touch the sacredness of others. If I am estranged from myself, I am likewise a stranger to others. It's in our makeup to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of all things, and sit and enjoy. To sit and be silent. This uh, quote about being estranged from myself when I'm not sitting and enjoying who God is and what he's done for me, um, it makes me think about a story. Whenever we first moved here about a year ago, um, I could tell like my kids were having kind of a hard time and they were, you know, at this point only, you know, four and two or something. And my son was in his room and he was just freaking out, man, like throwing stuff against the wall, breaking his toys. And and me who like, I have a lot to say and I I like saying things and I think I have a lot of good things to say, right? So I went thinking about I'm going to walk in here and I'm going to like direct him and correct him. And, but at the same time, do it lovingly, right? Like that's what I'm going to do. I'm a good father. And it hit me. Like maybe this kid just needs me to walk in. Maybe this kid just needs his father's presence. So I kid you not. And, and you know, deep down I'm thinking like this isn't, going to, this isn't going to work. So I walk in and instead of him taking his anger out on his toys, he starts to take his anger out on me. And I sit there, and I look at him, and I smile. 30 seconds goes by, nothing changes. A minute goes by, I see he's losing steam, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he just collapses in my lap. Doesn't say a word. I don't say a word. I say, buddy, I love you. And we walk out. And probably, you know, I would love to say, like, we, like, skipped out of the room holding hands and, like, shared a piece of cake together or something. Probably in the next 30 minutes, the same thing happened again, and I responded poorly. But in that moment, what he didn't need was a sermon. (laughs) What he didn't need was advice. What he didn't need was correction. Those things are good and necessary and, and, and important, but what he needed in that moment before anything was the presence of his father. What is your lack of silence communicating about how you view your father? Be still and know that he is God. Presence breaks down barriers. Silence breaks down barriers. It calms the soul. It reorients our emotions How often do you come to a place of just being embraced by a heavenly father who loves you because of the work of his son for your sake? We cannot afford to be quiet. Um, As we'll sing here in in just a little bit, we're going to sing, In the stillness we know and remind 
in the stillness we know and are reminded that he is God. In the stillness we know and are reminded that he is God. And out of that stillness, then we ask, we, we pray. So let's go ahead and read just one verse. I promise you that was like, that was the bulk, that was the bulk of this. That was the bulk of this. But let's go ahead and read verses two through, two through four. Um, and I will just say like, it's gonna be, like this is just, like I said, getting into a life group and talking about these things. I don't know how all life groups function, but man, it just brings so much clarity and comfort to be with brothers and sisters who are like, man, we're trying to figure this thing out, right? We're trying to walk and figure this thing out together. Um, but let's go ahead and, and read verses two through four here. So after the silence, then I saw the seven angels. This is John chapter eight, verse two. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This trumpet is an announcement that Christ is king, that Christ will restore all things, that Christ is in control, and out of that, man, we pray. Out of experiencing the stillness of who God is, we ask. I've heard it said about prayer, because prayer is so, so difficult for me. Like, it's just so tough because it's not like something's accomplished, right? Like, I want to accomplish something, and prayer is definitely not that way. Um, I heard a quote this past week about prayer. I begin in the flesh and end in the spirit. And man, that is true of me when I devote myself to prayer. I begin in the flesh, begin not really knowing what to do, not really knowing what to ask, and I end restful. I end restful. Martin Luther says this. He says, work, work from morning until late at night. Work, work from morning until late at night. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. I'm not saying be like Martin Luther. You shouldn't be like Martin Luther, probably, right? But this, this, is, a, this is a posture here of there's so much to do, I can't help but ask the only one who can make it happen. Is that our posture this morning? Is our posture one of silence? Is our posture one of prayer? And let's go ahead and read the last verse here together. Verse five. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And an earthquake. Chaos still ensues for the life of the believer. Pastor Jeff talked about that all last Sunday, right? That in the midst of this life, in the midst of us waiting for the kingdom to come fully, we experience chaos, we experience suffering, we experience difficulty. What is our posture this morning? When I think of kind of the three points, when I think of silence, prayer, and suffering, I think of the person and work of Jesus on the cross. There was silence when he was accused. All these people say you're the king of the Jews, right? What do you have to say about that? Silent. 
doesn't say a word. He's placed on the cross. He's spat on. He's stabbed in the side. And in his last breath, he says, Lord, forgive these people for they know not what they do. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we forget that our first call is to see and savor the person and work of Jesus. Suffering and chaos finds its climax in the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet it's so hard for us to sit and enjoy who he is. We want to work, we want to do, we want to act, and he's saying, reflect, sit, and enjoy who I am. As we finish today, um, I want to finish with, with just a call for us to, just to see these things happen, just 1% in our lives. Um, there's a kind of ending on an anticlimactic note here. There's an app that I highly recommend. I just finished some counseling recently, and my counselor recommended uh, the One Minute Pause app, which is stellar. Um, different um, times, so there's a one minute, three minute, five minute, 10 minute, uh, and it's John Eldridge just reading prayer over you. Um, and then there's another part of the app where you can just sit and it plays music and you just sit and whatever thoughts come, surrender them to the Lord. Whatever you feel, surrender it to God. And it was just so helpful in the, in the middle of my day specifically. Um, so I, I recommend uh, you, you do that. Um, and, and I also, I want us right now, um, man, God has been so good to us. I feel like I haven't heard, maybe kids have been crying, but I haven't heard like a single, single cry. Um, what I want us to do is I want us to just practice this right now. I want us to sit. Uh, the band's gonna come up in, in just a second um, and they're not gonna play anything. They're not gonna play anything. And we're just gonna sit. Whatever thoughts come, surrender them to Jesus. Whatever feelings come, surrender them to, to Jesus. Knowing that you are loved, because of the work of Christ on your behalf, because of the goodness of the good news of Jesus, you are seen as holy, blameless, and perfect, not because of what you do, right? Not because of how you strive, but because of the finished work of Jesus. So I just want us to just sit in a minute of awkward silence together. Can we do that? Can we be awkward together? Let's do that. Let's sit and let's just feel what Christ wants us to experience. Father, we, we recognize that to be silent, we need, your, we need your help. Ever since the beginning of all things, we have been striving and working and toiling 
thinking that in that we will find your favor. But Jesus, we just sit and rest right now knowing that Christ is king, knowing that your kingdom is coming, and we get to experience a glimpse of that in just a moment. So Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Help us to leave here just feeling a bit more free than when we came in here. Not because now we have all of these burdens to accomplish and things to do, but because you've reminded us of who we are, and that is beloved children of the living God. Pray this in Christ's name, amen. 